Welcome to the Patient Safety Podcast, proudly presented by RX360 and hosted by Jim Freeze. Listen in each month as leaders in the pharmaceutical ecosystem have thoughtful conversations about the positive changes being made for patient safety. RX360 is a nonprofit international consortium that addresses pharmaceutical supply chain security and quality in relation to public health concerns and patient safety. And now, here's your host, Jim Freeze. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Freeze, uh, CEO of RX360, welcoming you to episode three of our patient safety podcast. I couldn't be more excited today to welcome a guest who I've actually wanted to get on our podcast since we started it. Um, Ron Pierre Vincenzi from USP. Welcome. Um, I'm really excited about having you here today. I know everything that USP has done over, you know, a hundred years has been a tremendous asset to the pharmaceutical community. And with your background in a lot of the standards that USP does in conjunction with a lot of the things that RX360 does on the supply chain, the patient safety side, the material quality side, they've always been very synonymous. So I really wanted to reach out to you today, have you join us, and really kind of talk through some of the things that USP is embarking upon today and how it impacts the pharmaceutical community. So to kind of get us started here, and you know, again, welcome, but why don't you tell us a little bit about where USP is today and how you've evolved? Yeah, thank you, Jim. A pleasure to speak with you again, and the first time in the context of uh, of the podcast. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled. The um, it, It's a little humbling being a part of an organization. We celebrated our 200th birthday two years ago, just before the pandemic. Um, I've been uh, eight years, which is you know a substantial amount of time to be a CEO of an organization, but it's really nothing in a 200-year-old organization. USP's founding is, is you know is for the same reasons that we exist today. Uh, and that is to set the bar for what quality is, in the simplest terms, what a medicine should be. Um, what is it allowed? What, what, what does it need to have? What shouldn't it have from a safety and impurities perspective? How should it perform? How would it dissolve? How, you know, um, how sterile is it if it's a sterile injectable like a vaccine? Um, those are the basics. Now, over time, from 1820 to today, the technology has changed. So what's in the standards that USP creates that are legally enforced for all over-the-counter and prescription drugs um, in the U.S. and actually 50 additional other countries as well um, has evolved. The, the content of those standards have evolved. The analytical technologies have gotten more sophisticated. The drugs have become far more uh, uh, complex and diverse. But the same thing is needed. The yeah. very basic, Jim, which is to say you and your family, all of us, including whether we're um, CEOs in the, in the industry or, or, or not, We'll go into the pharmacy and pick up our prescription. 90% of the time, it's probably a generic drug. And you pick it up and you have to, you just believe it'll be what it says it is and that it'll work. And that's based on the fact that it has to meet the specifications of the USP standard, no matter how many different um, companies are producing that, that, it, that the FDA uses the USP standard in, in the approval and in the audits, the inspections for that company. Um, and the standard is, is the touch point, which yeah. defines the commonality. That's awesome. Um, and you're right. It's not, it's not, I wouldn't say it's more relevant. People like to say more, now more than ever. I don't like that phrase because are you sure more? Um, I think it's just as relevant, but that's remarkable from 1820 to today to say yeah. it's just as relevant. It's bigger and more complicated, but it's just as relevant. And I think that's a, I think that's a great way to look at it. It's just as relevant. You know, if anything, I always like to use the adage sometimes. And I kind of saw it during, uh, during COVID a little bit. And then even now with some of the situations that we're having over and over in Europe um, with Ukraine and, and that type of thing is, is events like that maybe take the relevance and make us a little bit more hyper-focused in those areas. 
which actually helps us improve and bring better things to the industry. When, when you look at the whole idea or the whole world of USP and standards, kind of two-part thought process here, Ron, is how do you look at the fit between standards and the medicine supply chain? And then really, how does that dovetail into patient safety? Yeah, so the short, I guess the short answer is that the over the 200 years, USP standards have evolved to meet the needs. All the things that are needed to ensure a medicine reaches a patient is the quality it's supposed to be. That is going to work, basically. Um, and and over the time, as this, as the supply chain has gotten more complex, and let me, it doesn't take long. In 1820, a physician would see someone and they would say, "Oh, I think you need this medicine." They didn't, we didn't even have pharmacies in America in 1820, so the the physician would turn around and he almost surely was a he would have a pile of powders, jam some things together, grind some stuff up, and then hand it to you. Um, so that was the supply chain. It was it was it was not great. But it was simple yep. uh, when you really when you think about it. And so at that time, the USP standard was basically a recipe. And even quite literally a recipe. Grind this up, throw it in some water. Um, so what is the equivalent to today? The truth is you can actually track every step along that journey today, although people were, are wearing different hats. So USP standards affect the ingredients in medicines. They, are, uh, they, de- they determine what a finished dose or basically you know, your pill or your sterile injectable how it should perform, what it can have, the test that determined to make sure that it's safe, um, how it's shipped, the temperatures and durations that it, that it can be on, on the shelf, the label that it's written to a standard that is then the same across all prescription drugs. So patients don't have to try to reinterpret in different circumstances, the quality and the, and the quantity of doses, like for children's medications, they're all USP standards. That's why we have over 7,000 of them to cover the drug supply, as well as the uh, different stages in the supply chain. And there is no quality until it's until it's met its purpose. And in advanced therapies, if I can, you know, maybe just end with this because you think to me the supply chain doesn't end until the drug is is actually at the affected place within the body. So let's say you have a patch; it's a, a transdermal patch for your mm-hmm. medicine. To me, the supply chain continues until it's actually entered the bloodstream. Sure. Um, in the sense that if the if it doesn't, if the patch is ineffective at transmitting the medicine, it doesn't matter that the medicine in the patch is good. It's not important to you until it's reached your bloodstream. So the patch has to op- operate, and that's the true supply chain in my mind. That, that's a that's a really interesting way to look at it because because ultimately, if the medicine's not getting through you with that patch, the supply chain's interrupted. So it's, I one hundred percent agree with you, and we think about that a lot at RX three sixty because much like you. Um, as you described, you, you you look at the supply chain from beginning to end, from you know that raw material all the way to like the patching analogy you just used. We do the same thing at RX360 and even kind of play a role not only in the security and integrity, but also that material quality through our audit program and that type of thing. So I appreciate that and I appreciate the patient safety component. Um, one of the things that um, you know, we touched on it at, in, in the first couple minutes here, Ron, but the whole idea about um, you know some of the things that we saw during COVID nineteen, and you know th- that changed a lot of the way that we developed pharmaceuticals, the way that we delivered pharmaceuticals. There were so many things that we adapted to that I think were ultimately best practices, so to say. I mean, some of those things that we we put into play during that time period. I don't want us to see go back to the way we were because we actually Maybe learned to do things right? better. But from your perspective, how in the world with the standards and the the dedication that USP has to that, 
How did you guys keep up with all the innovations? Yeah, actually, there is a literal answer to that, which is not a figurative answer, a literal answer, which how do we keep up? We moved way faster. That's how we kept up. Um, between 10 to 50 times faster. Uh, and so we recreated our processes, but we did not change any of the expectations. Our We have a quality system too, of course, right? Right. You have to, if you're going to set the quality bar for everybody else, you better yeah, have Yeah, we have one too. Yeah. Um, and a, a lot of our quality system is, well, we have quality about our laboratory work and our science, of course, but we also have an entire quality system around how we set our standard. It's a transparent public trans, uh, standard setting process. And because our standards are enforceable through law, we have to be rigorous. So when the pandemic comes and we have to be able to turn around a standard, for example, um, we were ensuring there wasn't ethanol contamination in hand sanitizers. We had to turn that around over a 48-hour weekend wow. to make sure that there was available testing because people were getting poisoned. People died um, from ethanol. I'm sure you know, we all saw it in the news. Uh, there, were, there were needs to turn it around for looking for the uh, substandard and counterfeit remdesivir. And so we suddenly needed to take what was a quality standard for a manufacturer and turn that into an analytical tool that could be used for testing of, of intentional counterfeit, which, of course, in a quality system, you never have an intentional counterfeit, of course. So it's not the same. So how do we do that over 48 hours and still have a public period and such? Well, it, it took a lot of changes. But when you have that emergency, you just said it. You, you just say, OK, throw all the boundaries out. Yeah. What could we do? Our volunteers, our expert volunteers uh, were available all weekend, we were working virtually. And so we're not going back, very, for sure. Um, so the you know sometimes the answer is, how do you move faster? Well, you have to work smarter. Yeah, but sometimes you just have to work faster too. And, yeah. and we did, we worked faster. Yeah, I 100% I, I totally agree. And and that's actually something that I've talked a lot about is, is that idea of not going back. We learned so much, those best practices, we shouldn't let them go away because all they do is set us up for success down the road when it comes to how we improve the pharmaceutical community. So before I go any further, after you just told that story about working over the weekend and working faster and smarter and all that good stuff, I, I personally want to thank everybody at USP for being able to, to push through those innovations and that speed that the, the industry was changing. I think you guys did a tremendous job during that time period. Thank you, Jim. And, and one one thing that was maybe implied when you asked the question um, is that sometimes you have to do things in, a, in an entirely different way where you meet new needs. And we were really proud of the work specifically uh, related to the vaccines. And again, because of the long, I think we didn't say it before, Jim, but you and I both know that when people talk about supply chain, often they mean sort of the middle part. They're thinking yeah. of literally the shipping of a finished drug to You're the right. pharmacy. Have you, right? Now, that is in the supply chain, certainly, but we also know the front and the back end of that are usually more important for quality. Than even than even the middle, um, and in the context of vaccines, we all know that was true. We all talked about it, you know, for the first time in the world. We all talked about the supply chain of, of a particular thing, including the last mile. Um, some people called it. We called it the last 100 feet because, in truth, it was getting it to the pharmacy or physician office wasn't that hard. But how do you get it in the patient's arm in a in a, in a fast way? Um, we have five different vaccines with four different dosing regimens, and so you know we created these. What we call toolkits because it's not a standard per se. It's more like a how-to, more of a practical guide um, that was used by, uh, by 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 thousands and thousands of, administ of administrators for for millions of doses of vaccine uh, distributed by the CDC. And the learning to us is that the you have to you have to create a solution. Yep. You have to look for a solution. And sometimes you get used to it because it just becomes obvious. Every drug, we have to make sure we test for impurities. And so you don't talk about it much. But it's not always obvious. You have to look for that solution. And the disruptions we've seen 
recently to the supply chain that have brought more awareness to people who have not been closely involved makes them start to ask questions about those solutions. That's why I think this is a unique time for us. Yeah, and and, and what's interesting is is that whole idea of how we do contribute to the industry because I think USP and RX360 have a lot of similarities like that. I mean, one of the things that that we operationalized very quickly at the beginning of COVID was um, literally, I'll use your 48-hour analogy um, that you used before, is, you know, COVID hit. And all of a sudden, a lot of our pharmaceutical manufacturers, their auditing almost came to a, a halt, you know, right. and 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 we we kind of got together as a consortium and, you know, kudos to the people that did it, got together as a consortium and put together a, a very robust uh, remote audit program that anybody in the industry could utilize. And, and I think those are examples. And I know that USP in today's world really is doing a lot of contributing to public health also. Could you maybe talk about some of those tools that that you guys have put into play that kind of helps in that public health perspective or some of the things that you guys are doing? Yeah, and the the way we, we asked this question was in, so in the context of COVID, we asked a series of questions that started with one, are our staff safe? Our staff and our volunteers safe? Which was not straightforward, of course. How do you keep working but be safe? Second one we asked was, where can we, in what ways can we ensure that our operations continue? Um, the Essentially, USP, our standards, are part of the global medicine supply chain. And so we had to make sure that we're not a part of any challenges and shortages. And we were able to achieve that um, quite well, not instantly, but quite well. Um, and then third was, what can we do to actually fight the pandemic. Um, then, of course, that feels like a long time ago in the sense that we're, we've then kept doing that, asking that same question more broadly. How can we bring about uh, advanced manufacturing more quickly to realize the benefits of speed and efficiency and, and high quality? In what ways uh, can USP standards speed up the innovation of innovative new medicines? And it's, I think it can be underappreciated the amount of time, um, and not by you, Jim, but I mean, just broadly, that can be spent on some of what people consider the basics. Let's say an innovative new therapy in cell or gene therapy, um, about getting the package right, making sure quality is sustainable and consistent over time. And if each of those therapies has to start from scratch, it takes much, much longer to develop that. If they can develop their, uh, their new products or new innovations, even the new advanced manufacturing technologies on a platform of standards, they get to start start on step three or four. Yep. It's really that simple. It's, it's, it's logical. It's kind of obvious. If every time you built a house, you had to reinvent electrical codes, it would be very hard to build a house. <laughs> um, and, but the problem when you have an innovative space is that the public health need is clear, but when it's new, well, how do you set a standard when you haven't done something before? And so that's where the collaboration comes in. You're absolutely um, right. And, and what we've learned over time, and I think especially more recently, is that we have to be on the front line for some of these so that we're creating the knowledge and the work that can then soon, not immediately, but soon become the standard that everything is based on. And that's both technological as well as medicine. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that always amazes me about kind of the, I'll refer to it as the volunteer model that USP has or the consortium model that RX360 has, is the the power of that group think in the pharmaceutical industry is is something that I I have not seen a whole lot of other places where people come together to develop standards or develop guidances or really think through a best practice. You know, it, it's one of the things that amazes me every day with RX360 and our consortium model 
is how people, you know, come together to do those things. That's why it really resonated when you used your, uh, your 48 hour analogy. Yeah. You know that if to stay on that, I think the, I think the reason it, that you don't see it more often isn't because it's not effective. It's because it's not free. What I mean is that it, it won't, it's not self-sustaining. It requires a lot of care, a lot of diligence. It requires real work yep. to maintain those in order to get, I think, which is an amazing amount of, of, of value. And so our, we have about 800 scientific expert volunteers and 500 convention members that power USP. But we have dozens and well, more than the hundreds of staff. We have 1,200 staff total, but we have hundreds of staff whose job it is to work with those, with that network of expertise to bring about the standards. It just, and without that support, it would, it would dwindle. Right. Um, I think the power there, and I, you know, why I, I, I applaud the consortium, um, you and the consortium, but I applaud the consortium for recognizing that it's worth investing in, in order to get that output over time. The, the volunteer model, the convention model USP has is, is, is desperately old fashioned in the sense that it's a mindset of like, why do people have to do it? None of them have to do it. Nobody has to do anything. Really, I mean, this is a collaboration people choose to do, people and companies and governments and practitioners. Um, and it's been sustained and it's more than sustained, it's been growing ever since. And I think it's there, but the underpinning of all that, they can bring in a little bit of worry and not so much for USP, but in general is it's all based on trust. Yep. I just said, they don't have to do it. So why do they do it? Because they trust that they're going to do the right thing. And they trust and each people other. people are going to pick up. And yeah. they, and they but trust, trust each is, other. is dwindling. It's, I mean, you feel it. Yeah, you, you do. I don't disagree. And and that's why I, I really appreciate when I interact. It, it still amazes me every day when I interact with our membership in the consortium and see the, the because sometimes it's counterintuitive, right? I mean, uh, you know, by nature, a lot of us are competitive and that idea of collaboration for the betterment of everything is, is just counterintuitive sometimes. And when you think about that trust to work collaboratively to solve an issue in our industry, that's why I always say, um, when I look at the industry that, that both of us play in, Ron, is to be able to volunteer, to be able to bring something better to the industry truly is a calling. You know, it's not because it, because in many cases, most people have day jobs, too, and they're they're also doing this. And I just think it is it's amazing to watch on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my, my pessimism isn't that it's hopeless. It's, it's that it's a reality. And therefore, I think it takes requires and it's worth and requires more care more stewardship to maintain that. It's worth it, is what I'm saying. Um, I don't think, and I think actually the, the value of effective consortia or in, in, US place, uh, in USP's you know, place, um, a network of, of scientific experts coming together, that the value goes up relative because when trust diminishes elsewhere, you become, you know, yep. it's still standing. So it's worth it. And in something like, medicine supply and quality medicines, there, there is no substitute for trust. It can't work without it. There can't. There's no way you can test every pill that somebody's going to take. You have to create a system where there's mutual trust um, and accountability. There's, there's, there is no shortcut. Well, if, if, if people like you continue to have your type of enthusiasm, I think we'll be able to, uh, to overcome any of those barriers. I agree. And maybe even, you know, maybe turn the tide a little. If That's right. A little, opt- a little glass full. That's glass right. That's full. right. Hey, um, just to kind of wrap up here, Ron, it has been a great conversation. Um, I could not be more happier about having you here today. And, you know, maybe we can even do it again in in the future on maybe even a different topic or something like that. But, you know, to kind of wrap up today, um, when we take a look at, you know, where we are from a standards perspective and maybe where USP wants to go, 
What's your message as we as we kind of leave the podcast today? What's your thought process is about, you know, hey, what what do we want to continue to do? What are we happy about today? What are we not happy about today? What's the message you want to leave everybody with? Yeah, well, let me answer it this way. Um, innovation. And I'm going to go across three buckets and I'll, I'll kind of leave it there. So innovation of... Uh, of medicines and, and medical products and how do we make sure we don't fall behind in the support and not just for standards, including standards, but standards and the systems that support them so that those innovations don't either get slowed down or trip up once they receive. Um, some of the most exciting innovations, for example, in cell and gene therapy are, are challenging to develop, of course, but they're also distributed models of, of administration. Think of it like drug compounding, which means the supply chain is more complex and wider and, 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 and it requires standards even more. Um, I think we should think about innovation in terms of the supply chain itself. And I mean, in the traditional definition, meaning we're concerned about breakdowns and shortages and all this, it's real. Um, but what does innovation look like there? Well, innovation looks like we always say, well, it's, it's complex. We don't know where it is. Well, I think the days are over. That's not an excuse anymore. Um, we're doing our part at USP and we hope others step up to solve it. Um, we're put, we put together a medicine supply map, which is not completely finished, but is meant to represent where our medicines are coming from, where the ingredients are, and we can start to use that data to make better decisions about resiliency. So it's like innovation, in this case, it's digital innovation on what's, a, you know, I'd say a pretty traditional supply chain. Um, and the last kind of innovation is technological. And in this case, it's about the manufacturing and the distribution of medicines, which is quite old-fashioned compared to any other industry. And I'm sure Jimmy talked about this all the time. It's true in, in medicine, the batch manufacturing of medicines, both biological as well as solid oral dosage forms, um, is one of the few things left doing that of any kind of product in the world. I mean, certainly advanced technologies, automobiles, food products, they've all moved on to much more advanced continuous manufacturing type systems. Um, so what's the excuse here? Well, the innovation is going to require better standardization. So the hurdle, the barrier to entry to these technologies is much lower. Um, and the barrier today prevents generic manufacturers from participating. That's 90% of our medicines. So it's not good enough. So our, our vision of what we're looking towards is looking to those innovations and asking what solutions are necessary to bring them about better, you know, faster, reduce barriers to entry and allow the innovations to occur more freely. That's what I would leave it with, which I think is a very positive note. Oh, it is. And and I'll just dovetail real quickly before we uh, say goodbye to each other is my, my word, your word was innovation. My word is collaboration. I, I think as long as our, our industries, even this conversation that you and I are having, I mean, RX360 and USP, as long as we continue to collaborate, the industry trusts each other, we're going to end up on the better on the outside and those innovations will all you know come to fruition. So I, I appreciate that, Ron. I appreciate your time today, um, and and we will definitely be uh, back in touch, and I continue to look forward to working with USP. Thank you, Jim, and good luck to you and in your leadership of uh, RX360. Thanks, Ron. Follow RX360 to keep up to date. And we look forward to having you tune in next time for the Patient Safety Podcast, presented by RX360.